Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Dangerous, Chapter 5. John was in the middle of a long telephone call about a pending case when Jocelyn stuck her head in the door. Her blue eyes had some sparkle in them, rare for these days, but when she saw that he was on the phone, she held up a hand and went back out. Curious. He ended the conversation, walked into the outer something, he asked. She grinned, holding out a sheet of paper. He took it, his eyebrows lifted in surprise. Dan Jones. He stared. Who's Dan Jones and why am I reading his rap sheet? He's your DB in the Little Carmichael River in Jacobsville, she said. I checked the state records for anybody recently paroled, narrowed it down to ten possibles who hadn't checked in with their parole officer lately, requested DNA evidence to be sent to Alice Jones to compare with the DNA they pulled out of, off the victim. And there he was, Dan Jones. He smiled. It was rare for him to do it, and extraordinary that he smiled at Jocelyn, who was his nemesis. She stared at him as if she didn't recognize him. The smile made him look so different. His black eyes sparkled, his white perfect teeth gleamed. Remind me to put in a request for a raise in salary for you, Miss Perry, he said. I'll know your contribution to the case as well. Thanks, he stammered. Dan Jones turned one back into his office. His mom working it over. Get my brother on the phone, William. Yes, sir. Kelraven was on fire with the news. Once he got it, he spent the next two hours trying to track down Rick Marquise's partner, Gail Rogers. She'd gone to the scene of a suicide dispatch that and gave him the address after he told them, not quite truthfully, that he was working the case with her. The uniform officer at the apartment door tried to stop Kelraven, but he just waved his federal badge at them and kept walking. The victim was lying face down on the sofa. There was a large, large, there was a very large knife sticking out of his back. Kel Raven glanced at the female detective sergeant. I thought they said you were working at the scene of a suicide, Rogers, he remarked. Sure. Suicide. He obviously stabbed himself in the back. She rolled her eyes. Sure, you can do Sure, you can do that. You just have to have really long arms. Alice Jones, whose last name was now Fowler, told her, walking in the room with an evidence pack she just collected. Behind her was the photographer who was recording the scene, another crime scene technician, was using a vacuum collector system to suction possible trace evidence in the form of hair and fiber from the carpet around the body, and still another had a ultraviolet flashlight with which he was searching for traces of blood and bloody fluids on nearby surfaces. What are you doing in here? Messing up my crime scene, Kill Raven. Shadow was grinning. This isn't a federal suicide. From where I'm standing, this isn't a suicide, period. Kill Raven returned. His wife says it is, Alice murmured. In fact, she saw him do it. His eyes knew. She did. Yes. That was just before the two headed cat flew in the window and attacked her. He whispered. <sighs> they took her downtown to county. The deputy said, by the way, hospital. For a psych evaluation, yes. For detox. She snorted enough meth. Put two men in the morgue. From the look of it. People who make meth should be hung up by their noses and left to rot, he said coldly. Create a need and then supply it. That's how the stone goes. Gail said solemnly. Your dark eyes were cold. My ex-husband knew every drug known to man and used me... And used most of them. I had no idea until we were on our honeymoon and he tried to get me to shoot up. I left him that very week. Love does blind us. Alice interjected. Yeah, you know, newly married Alice. He teased you. Harley and I have calves, she said. His boss, Cy Parks, gave us a seabull and several heifers, and they were filled ones. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, if a heifer is open when she's not pregnant, does it make sense that she's filled when she is? She asked. Hillraven, she said. We learn something new every day.
Know what the difference is between a bull and a steer? She continued with a cocky grin. You ever know? I own half of the biggest ranch, cattle ranch in Lawton, Oklahoma, Alice. I grew up on a horse. Did you really? She exclaimed. My brother just called with the news about Dan Jones. Nice work. I told you I had skills. Alice reminded him. It's amazing to me that I'm not in demand as a technical advisor to any number of programs about autopsies on television. She frowned awfully. Heck, I'm amazed that they are after me to star in one of them. I'm young. I'm gorgeous. I'm... Is anybody listening to me? She opened her arms wide. We're trying not to, Alice. Kilraven said with a lie. Fine, I'll just go about solving crimes on my own. I'd appreciate it. Unlove. Shall I tell Harley you said that? He asked. He made a face at him and left the room. The DNA match was really good, Alice. He called after her. No need trying to butter me up, Kilraven. I'm not listening. It was, it was good work, but it doesn't help much yet. Detective Rogers said a minute. It was good work, but it doesn't help much yet, Detective Roger said a minute later. We have a name and a rap sheet, but there's a lot of work left to do in order to connect him with anybody. We'll get there. I want to know if you've had any luck questioning witnesses around the motel where the victim lived. Nobody knows anything, she sighed. Well, let me rephrase that. Nobody knows anything for free, and I'm broke until payday. I can bankroll you if you're willing to go back, he said. I hate paying informants, but I can, can't really see any straight-up way to get information in this case. And I'm not really sure that they'll say anything if we pay for it, she added. One of the guys I talked to said we were sticking our noses in places even cops shouldn't go. That sounds interesting. I'll take bullets... I'd take bullets if I went out, suggested from the other room. I always take bullets. Kill Raven for him. When I finish up here, Roger said, we can go back to the motel and see if a few photos of Ben Franklin on currency will open any mouths. You know, say, Alice, he called to the woman in the other room who waved a hand in his general direction. The motel where Dan had been living was a seedy, sad little affair on the wrong side of town. It's... It's one enticement to the poor was the low cost of housing. On the other hand, customers had to share space with any number of small fury rodents or long-legged bucks. There were five men living in the motel, only two of whom were long-term residents. One of them knew Dan Jones, but it took several photos of Ben Franklin to get inside his room and several more to overcome his survival sense. He was elderly, looked half-starved, and wore glasses so that the killer even was dubious about his identity. Uh, ability to even see his visitors. Bad people he was mixed up with, the old man told him. Real bad. He said he couldn't stay any place long because they were trying to shoot him up. He knew things. See, he wouldn't say what, but he said he wanted to go straight and they weren't going to let him. He had a girl, nice girl, he said. She was real religious and wanted him to go to church with her. He liked her. He liked it, so they thought he could make up for some of the things he did, she said. I knew he'd never live. Once he said that name, I knew they'd kill him. He'd kill him in a hard look. You just make sure you say I never told you nothing, or that you'll find me in some alley. I won't tell anyone, kill him. What name did he say? Yes, what name? He said, Hank Saunders, said finally. Kill him Senator Saunders' little brother, he muttered. That's the one. Law can't touch him. He's got powerful friends. You watch. You'll never get the guy who killed Dan. They can cover up any crime they want to. You just watch your own back, so it'll get got you too. Nobody smart kills a cop. Kill Raven told him. Yeah, well, these guys don't build rockets, came to the reply. Kill Raven handed him another Franklin and walked out with the detective. Now what? She asked with a sigh. Now what indeed? How do you investigate the brother of a senator for a possible homicide? 
call some reporters. Oh no, you know, I'm not going to be a nightly news stack. Once they launch onto this cold case, there will be autopsy photos of my wife and child on every tabloid from here to New York City. No, we have to play this close to the chest. I'll see what I can dig up on the senator's brother. Suppose you see if any of your informants know anything about Dan Jones and his pals. I'll do that. She was quiet and thoughtful for a minute. They stood just outside the motel in the chilly night air with the motel sign, neon sign missing two letters of the word motel. It seemed to emphasize the hopelessness of the building, old and in new need of much repair that the owner obviously couldn't or wouldn't affect. I hope I never end up in a place like this, Kilfern said. Me too. Although, I've lived in worse places in years past. She said with a soft laugh. She looked up at the nice guy. I want to do something dangerous. Like dive off a building or something, he asked with twinkle eyes. She shook her. No, I mean, I want to reopen the case of that teenager who was found in a similar condition to our Jacobsville murder victim seven years ago. It was instinctively so. You think there may be a link to our cold case? She nodded. Just a hunch. I don't have inside information or anything, but I've got a feeling. I have a friend in Jacobsville who had those same hunches. Saved my life once. She recalled thinking about winning. Mine might end in a tragedy, she said with a sudden flash of insight. It's very risky. But I think it might peace I think it might be peace in the puzzle. His eyes now. You think there may be a tie in the senator? You think there may be a tie to the senator? I don't have a scrap of evidence that points to him. Just a hunch. She was very young, she recalled. She went off supposedly to meet a boy. She was dating and turned up dead in an unspeakable condition just before you lost your family and looking like our mysterious Dan Jones when his body was found. It may be a coincidence. On the other hand, never hurts to play the odds, she agreed. I'll get right on it. You watch your back, she added with a grin. I'd hate to have to identify you by your DNA. So would my brother... You replied to Miles, you're not. I'll be in touch. Winnie knew something was going on with Killraven, but she didn't know exactly what. He'd gone to San Antonio to see his brother and Marquis' female partner. Before that, he'd spent time with Rick at his house. She wished she knew Killraven well enough to ask him what was happening. They weren't getting any inside information at dispatch, and that alone was disturbing. They usually had some tidbits about any case that was being worked, even ones up in San Antonio. She was still floating on air from that hard, sweet kiss and hoping it wasn't going to be an isolated incident. He was the first and only man she'd ever had such feelings for. She hoped that he felt the same way, but he hadn't phoned her or looked in her in at Barbara's Cafe where she had lunch most days. In fact, he was conspicuous by his absence. The holidays were over. She and Kelly had taken down the beautiful old Christmas ornaments and packed them away, along with the other decorations in the tree. The house looked cold and bare. Jacobsville still had its tinsel and bells and Christmas trees on light poles, along with garlands of fir and holly. But this artificial leftovers generally didn't come down until the middle of January. They made Winnie sad. She hoped she might see Kilroven during the holidays, but it but if his cold case was heating up, she could not she could understand that he'd want to be in the middle of it. She should have realized how single minded he was about the past. She didn't. Kilraven had barely noticed Christmas Day. John came by and brought him a diamond tie tack. He returned the gift with one of his own, a rare print of running horses that John had been looking for. Kilraven had found it on the internet months ago and bought it. Then they had it framed and kept it in a closet for the big day. 
Don't you even put up a tray in your apartment? John asked. John had explained, looking around at the bare apartment. There wasn't even a photograph on display. No paintings, nothing personal at all. Just gym equipment in one bedroom. Job-related computers and monitors and another gaming consoles. And the bare necessities of furniture in the living room and dining room. With a fully equipped kitchen where John sometimes whipped up gourmet dishes for both men. It's just a place to sleep. I've been busy trying to run down leads. John eyes and what I hear is that you've been driving people nuts trying to get them to work your cold case above pressing new murders. Hey, it's the first break we've had in seven years, he said defensively in his face hard. It should have been worked until it was solved when it was fresh. I won't argue that, but you know what it's like trying to get your best to do dozen cases at a time. All with graving relatives who want blood and tears from the perps. I know that, but this is personal. John Mufford, don't start obsessing again. He said, well, it took over your life for three years after it happened. I don't want to see you falling back into that abyss. I'm going to solve it, told his brother, no matter what the cost. Whoever killed my little girl is going to pay for it with his blood. John understood how he felt. He didn't know what to say in such a personal matter. They've had weeks, he burst out. They know the guy's name, where he lived, that he was involved with a woman who worked for Senator Fowler, that he went to church nearby. For God's sakes, they are church members, only employees who work for the senator, people who lived at the motel he stayed at. I heard about the resident who was, shall we say, compensated for information. Johnson Kelly, that's not good police work. Hey. Whatever works, he shot back. He was the only man my detective could find. He was willing to say anything at all, and he was scared to death even to whisper certain names. Like the name of the junior senator's brother, John Q. Exactly. John stuck his hands in his mouth. Mac, I'm not saying it's a bad lead, but if the case ever comes to trial, that paid informer is going to come back and bite you in the ass and haunt you. One broken link in the chain of evidence can link a let a murderer walk. Kilraven said her eyes were lawless. Who says he'll get, he'll ever get to trial? He asked that tone so soft with menace that it made the hair on the back of John's neck stand up. If you act outside the law, you'll go to prison. John said quietly, don't do it. Don't even think about it. We have the rule of law and it works. Not all the time. Vigilante law has been known to kill innocents. John reminded You don't want to run off half-cocked and finger the wrong person, do you? Kill Raven's face was like, I want justice. Good. So do I. Stop talking like some old West Desperado. Kill Raven looked at Have you ever read a real history of the old Texas lawmen on the border in the early 1800s? John asked. Who hasn't? One Texan with a badge could walk into town across the border, and residents would run away screaming when they saw just the badge, he replied. Those old timers had to be tough to stay alive. Kill Raven defended them. You're missing the point. Which is... You can carry your threat so far that instead of respect for the law, you create a panic and fear. Whatever works, the older man repeated John's idea. I can't talk to you about a dozen other subjects, and you're the sole rationality on this one. You aren't even coherent. Look at the autopsy photos. I'll give you coherent. John, to move closer and lead a big hand on his brush. Nobody knows better what you went through than I do. He said, I'll help you any way I can, but if you step outside the law, nobody will be able to. You'll understand. Killraven softened just for a minute. John was a hard case, but he really cared about his sibling. Killraven knew what he made. I could have done worse for a brother than you, he says. John chuckled. Yes, me too. 
was the closest they come to expressing the real affection they had for each other. Neither man was known for public displays of private emotions. Now it was January, cold and barren and dry. Kilburn glared at the flat horizon with its gray skies and stark trees lifting bare limbs over frosty ground. It felt dead. Kilburn felt dead inside. He was sorry he had at least phoned Winnie over the holidays, but every new lead in the cage kept him pacing the floor and waiting for phone calls. Not that he waited long. Every homicide detective in San Antonio recognized his cell phone number by now. They hung up a minute and flashed on the screen. Damn it, he muttered, throwing the phone at his leather sofa after his latest attempt. Communication got him a quick click, followed by a busy signal. No sooner had it hit than it started ringing. He drafted it up. Maybe one of the detectives was there. Hello, he said. I have news, John says. Remember I told you that I had Miss Perry researching Dan Jones, an associate. Yes, he found some. I did indeed. Junior Center's brother engaged Mr. Jones as a gopher. He replied. The connection finally. I'll go hold it right there, Johnson family. You can't jump in and blow the whole investigation. We have to go slow to gather evidence to. Damn. I know how impatient you are, John told him quietly. But you don't want us to blow a murder case by intimidation and threats, do you? Kilroy was silent. Do you? Of course not. He said on a heavy side. Good. Now take a deep breath and promise me you won't go rushing over to the evil brother's lair and start knocking him through the walls trying to pin the murders on him. Kilraven let him breath. I promise. We have to go at him sideways. First we pin down exactly what tasks Dan Jones was known to do for, whether any of them involved intimidation or worse. Then we have to find witnesses who saw it and are willing to talk. The informant at the motel might know more. Anything you get with bribes will be a banquet for the purpose defensive team, John said sternly. Kilraven quieted down. I guess so, he said. You know so. What can you do is to find a way to talk to the senator's wife, John. We know that she's afraid of her husband's brother. We don't know why. We need some way to dig information out of her without making her suspicious. They have a vacation property in the Bahamas, Kilraven said his eyes. I could fly down there. She won't talk to you, Johnson. I know because I've tried. I'm gonna. It's gonna take a woman. Kilraven's heart jumped. The Sinclair's own property in Nasi. Yes, they do, Johnson. In fact, their property is just down the beach from the Senators. I had Miss Perry dig that out for me. And we have a ranch in Lawton, near the Senators' home place, where his grandfather was born. They vacation there sometimes as well. When he's saying Claire might be willing to help. We could go down there together. Johnson whistled. If you take her down to Nossi and share her big child's gossip, we'll get back to Jacobsville. Her reputation is spotless. It would be a shame to put a blemish on it. Kilraven was thinking, not quite rationally. We could get a nice ceremony at City Hall the day before we leave for the Bahamas. Followed by a nice annulment today we come home. John Claire now. The woman's crazy about you from what I hear. Even you couldn't be that cold hearted. Think of marrying her temporarily just to help in a murder investigation. I was kidding. Kilraven look. I might ask her to fly down there and accidentally run into the senator's wife and have lunch or something. She might be able to find out something we can't. It might put her in the line of fire too, John argued. Kilraven personally. More reason than I should be on hand just in case. Joshua said, I can't talk to you. Sure you can. It's a great idea. I'll go work on it. I didn't mean it that way, Johnson. Mac, you can't use people who care about you.
Why not? Everybody else does. His face on. My daughter is dead. Somebody killed her and walked away like it never happened. I want somebody to pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it. No matter what I have to do to get an arrest in the case. No matter who you have to sacrifice to do it. John asked softly. You're twisting what I said. Not really. Killed Rain Squares. One he's got a crush on me. She's too young to feel anything stronger than that. He said to miss her feelings. She'd be thrilled to have a marriage license in her hands even if it has for only a couple weeks. We'll solve the case, get it on me, and go back to our own lives. Mac, like a date. Only we'll live together briefly. She asks a brother who age lives snakes. John's back. I know, Boo Sinclair. You do not want him on your neck. He was a spec ops in our wreck, and he has skills that could match yours. He's very protective of his sister. I'm not gonna hurt Winnie. Kill Raven Rage. For God's sake. We'll have a vacation together. What's sinister about that? A vacation where you'll throw her as bait to catch the senator's wife. You said we can't get her to talk because we're men, okay? Winnie's a female. You don't even know if she'll do it, John said. But if you ask her, for God's sake, tell her the truth. And tell her it's risky because it is. You can be putting her life on the line. Just for talking to a senator, his wife, he's gone. Don't be so alarmist. I have to be. You're not thinking straight. You're too bullheaded about this case to be logical. And you're too logical to feel revenge. John said, no, I'm not. I saw them too. He had a quality. Melly was my was a very special child. I may not have liked her mother, but I loved her, just as you did. I don't want somebody to get away with killing her either. Kill her even lax. Well, I'll talk to Winnie. Do that. But be honest, okay? Okay. All the way to Jacobsville, he was thinking of ways to see it. saw Winnie on the idea without telling her too much. John was all business, but Killraven's heart was bleeding all over again from the memory of what he'd seen that long ago rainy night when he intercepted an homicide call and found his family dead. He'd had nightmares for years. He heard Melly call for him, scream for him to save her, and he tried to get up. But he was held down by ropes and he couldn't get loose. The same dream, night after night, with her screams in his ears. He dived headfirst into a whiskey bottle for several weeks afterward. John had saved him from going even further downhill by getting him into a treatment facility. Fortunately, his bosses had understood his behavior. Counseling and time off had given him the opportunity to pretend to the world that he was over at the desk, well adjusted and ready to go back to work. Nothing was further from the truth, but he learned to hide his feelings. He was good at it by now. He'd taken some of the most dangerous jobs he could find and a futile effect effort to get the horrible pictures out of his mind. The CIA had taken him on with reservations, but discovered that he was an asset with his knowledge of foreign languages. Like his brother John, he spoke Farsi and several Arabic dialects, in addition to Spanish, French, Russian, German, and even locate Sioux. If he were colored contacts, he was olive skinned, dark and eye dark-eyed enough to pass for someone Middle Eastern, and he had, working covertly and sometimes with foreign governments to ferret out information vital to national security. His speciality had been kidnapping cases, which was why he'd gone undercover in Jacobsville about the time General Emerio Machinado went missing and showed up in Mexico. The general nabbed first Gracie Marsh and then Jason Pendleton in an effort to regain his government in South Africa. South America. He was friendly to the U.S. and not the same sort of tyrant who held power there now. Kilriven had been looking for him, but hadn't realized where he was until he got involved with Rodrigo Ramirez and the DEA on a drug case and 
Voila! There was Machino. He solved that case. Now he had something much more personal to pursue during his leave of absence. All he needed were the tools to solve it. One of them was Winnie Sinclair, and he was going to get her to help him, no matter what he had to do, even if it meant using her own feelings for him in the process. The only thing that mattered was bringing his daughter's killer to justice any way he could. He could still see her that last night of her life. She stared... She started toward the car where her mother was, waiting impatiently to take her to daycare, but she turned suddenly. She ran back to kill Riven with her black hair flying, laughing, her arms outstretched, picked her up, swung her around and kissed her. I love you, Daddy, she whispered and kissed him back. Always remember. He could barely see the road for the film in his head. Always remember. They were the most painful words of all now because he remembered what had happened just a few hours later. He would never... See those black eyes sparkle or hear that musical little laugh or open his arms for Melanie to run into. He drew in a harsh breath and swallowed down the hard lump in his throat. His hands went white where they gripped the steering wheel, three years old, and some heartless intruder had killed her. Somehow, he swore someday someone was going to pay that price for that murder, and he was going to make it happen. He didn't care if it cost him his job or even his life. The killer was going to be brought to justice. End of chapter 5.